0: Welcome back to the 75th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories all about the medical industry. We're going to look at a whole bunch of different aspects. Are they overworked? Do they need to have a change in the way that the industry approaches non-competes and allowing their workers to transfer from job to job? And also, we're going to have a, a look in our last article about a new drug that fights depression and the promising signs that are coming out of some of the studies. And of course, we'll end today with our daily delight a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling for me. Let's jump into our daily debate. The medical industry has faced much scrutiny, and for good reason, from overzealous insurance companies to highly priced treatments. But there are less politically advantageous issues to address, in my opinion. So, do you believe politicians actually want to help the everyday patient when they start talking about these medical issues, or they just latching on to what is politically expedient in the medical industry. And if you have an example of an issue that you think they aren't addressing, that's important, uh, I would love to hear it. Maybe I could even cover it. So put your thoughts down in the comments section. It's always nice when I see something that I haven't thought of down there. So, like I said, throw them down in the comment section. Maybe I'll end up covering it in a different episode. All right, let's jump to our first story from the Washington Examiner. Make hospitals compete with each other, just like other businesses have to. So were you aware that medical companies in the medical industry, just like lawyers or even fast food chains nowadays, the medical industry is full of non-compete contracts. Quote, non-complete clauses are nearly universal in healthcare and the effects can be devastating. Doctors put down roots in their communities. They sometimes spend years building relationships of trust. When the time comes to launch an independent practice, flee a toxic work environment or pursue a different employment opportunity, they are stymied. They must either move far away whether nobody knows where nobody knows them, or to wait for two years or longer for their contracts to expire. These employed doctors, which include nearly 60% of all physicians, are fenced in in with fewer opportunities as healthcare systems expand their reach. Legal departments carefully tailor the contracts to withstand challenges, which most physicians are afraid to pursue, or unable to afford. End quote. So you know this type of behavior, it really disincentivizes good doctors from leaving bad hospitals, practices, clinics, etc. And, and what I mean by that is, if you are a really great doctor, you're one of the best surgeons but you're performing in a hospital that is overly bureaucratic, And you say, you know what, I want to change the system. I want there to be a small surgical clinic where you can come in and get these surgeries for cheaper, where we don't have to pay the administrative costs. You can't implement that plan immediately. You can't leave and just start that outright. You can't take doctors with you who are also good surgeons and want to change how the industry goes about these surgeries because you're locked into a non-compete. So for two years, maybe even longer, if you're a really good surgeon and you get locked into one of these contracts, you are forced to either sit on the sidelines, which means you're not actually practicing anymore. You're not doing these surgeries that you're soon going to open a clinic to do, meaning you're out of practice, which is never a good thing. Or like the article says, you have to move away where you don't have those connections with those people that you have worked with for years. Maybe there's this old man who needs a very particular type of surgery, he came in for it, but it's a routine thing. And you know you can offer it to him for cheaper at a different clinic that you own yourself. Well, he may not have those two years to wait for you to open that clinic while you're trying to wait out your non-compete clause. So this is where it can be very disadvantageous when people want to change the system and when these good doctors want to leave these bad bureaucracies that the hospitals and the healthcare system has become. And this, of course, is the intent. These institutions, these medical big hospitals, these medical systems, they want to limit competition. So with these non-competes, like I just talked about, they are boxing in. As the article puts it, they're fencing in people. And when they do this, they ensure that it at least takes two years to start up something or even longer that is different, that could possibly uproot their control over the system. And many doctors are not willing to wait those two years. They can't necessarily afford to wait those two years. They can't sit there and say, oh, well, I can't make no money for two years, so I might as well not go out on this venture and sit with my cushy job. Even though it's not the greatest hospital, I'll sit with my cushy job. And also, when you think about it, If these non-competes go beyond just doctors but they go to the administrative staff or some of the people who are at these hospitals who are high up who have a good understanding of the medical industry who may have connections at different insurance companies that could be crucial in order to start a different practice or start a different clinic – because they have these connections with these insurance agencies, they could be very valuable to these doctors if they wanted to go out and start their own practice. But if they have to wait two years, not only do those insurance agency companies, they get new contacts, maybe you fall out of favor with them, but you also don't necessarily keep up with the rapidly changing healthcare industry. So this is all meant to slow down competition and therefore disincentivize it which is extremely, extremely, I don't want to say evil, but at the end of the day, it is anti-competitive, which is scary because we want competition. We want there to be pressure on this industry to always be better. There's another quote that I want to read you here. Quote, hospital systems welcome the interference on their behalf. If something similar exists in fast food, Jimmy John's and McDonald's could not only have stopped their employees from leaving, but also stopped mom-and-pop shops from opening nearby. Con advocates claim that the state-sanctioned monopoly power is necessary to prevent redundant investment and keep health care costs under control. But federal antitrust agencies debunked this claim as far back as 2008. Such arguments provide inadequate economic justification for depriving healthcare consumers of the benefits of competition the justice department and federal trade commission wrote in a joint statement and quote and what they're talking about here is the non competes but also these con agreements certificate of need agreements which are things that these incumbent firms have where they can say oh, we went to the government, we got the certificate of need, and this proves that we are valuable. This proves that we are needed, that we have the right to work in this state. And in order for new people to come into the industry, they have to receive these certificate of need in order to open their businesses. And this can be a long bureaucratic process, which then slows down the pace at which new companies can open and pressure these old ones to improve how they go about doing their business. And that's what this quote was really talking about, is that they want to limit who can enter the market so that at the end of the day, they can be the incumbent firms. They can open new hospitals because they already have the certificate of need. They can go into new markets in the same state because they already are verified by the government and really slow down the competition while they stranglehold the industry or local communities. You know, the limiting of competition, it really centralizes and concentrates the industry and hurts consumers' checkbooks at the end of the day. If you don't have a whole bunch of new clinics offering maybe the same treatment for lower costs because they're not paying for all those administrators, they're not paying for all the doctors, they're just paying for one or two, they're not paying for all the equipment in the hospital but specialized equipment to address special needs, then these smaller companies that can do that, that can specialize, they would be charging less money for their services. But if the hospitals are able to keep them out, they can keep their stranglehold, they can make sure there's no competition, and therefore they don't have to lower their prices with these to beat these other companies that would be coming into the market. They can keep their nice cushy, their nice insurance-supported payment system and ensure that they're making as much profit as possible because there's a limited supply. They are the limited supply, and that's extremely dangerous. Quote, patients ultimately lose. When doctors quit a healthcare group and move beyond the geographic reach of a non-compete clause, the system reshuffles their patients to other providers based on corporate incentive rather than customer choice. A botched sandwich order can be annoying, But starting over with a new doctor can be life-altering, end quote. And I really want to take a step back and talk about the fact that doctors, they get into medicine to help patients, not to hurt them. And these cutthroat tactics are not benefiting anyone except large health groups who keep pushing back on new legislation to get rid of these non-competes, who want to limit the amount of CONs, cons, certificates of need that are issued throughout a state. And it's really unfair to the customer, but also these doctors went through years and years of schooling. They went through probably the early part of their 20s trying to pursue being a doctor to help people, and they're literally getting their hands handcuffed behind their back and said, no, 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 you're going to work within the system, you're not going to do all you can to help people, and you're going to make us money, rather than saving your customer or patient money. That's devastating to doctors, and you could understand why some people might not want to go into the healthcare industry because of it. It also decentivizes people from going into the healthcare industry if they're not going to be able to do what they want to do, which is help people. And yes, of course, there are the occasional doctors who go into it for the money, the status. But a lot of doctors are people that are connected to their community. They see a need, and they realize that they have the skills to help people. And like I said, these healthcare companies, they got them in golden handcuffs. Yeah, you'll be making lots of money, but at the end of the day, you are not going to be able to help them like you want to help them, or you're not going to be able to help them as you could Best help them in many situations. Quote, establishing providers hate competition. Established providers hate competition. Hospital associations oppose all efforts to overthrow non-compete and con schemes. The fear of competition exposes their lack of confidence in their business models. Yet everyone wins when service providers must contend for talent and customers, just like fast food joints. End quote. And to be clear, this is not me advocating for universal or governmental spon- government sponsored healthcare, where the state comes in and runs everything and gets rid of these big businesses. I'm not trying to say that at all. I, I think there's a lot of things wrong with that, and that actually has the opposite effect, in my opinion. If we have a state centralized healthcare system, there is less competition because. There's no longer at least these big groups fighting one another, trying to cut prices. It's just one government system that can basically charge whatever they want, which is going to be very little or zero. And they can force the suppliers of certain medical you know, medications or scalpels or anything you may need in those hospitals, since it's the government, they practically have a monopoly on the healthcare industry. They can force those companies up the supply chain to sell them the goods at any cost. And I think that also hinders competition. So I'm not implying that we should have that whatsoever. It has to be more decentralized. We have to allow for barriers of entry to go down. So new firms who are willing to push, revolutionize, who don't have as high of these administrative costs to come up with new innovations, to pressure these bigger companies to cut their costs where they can and also find new techniques to cut costs, and then over time, either they become the dominant firm, or the large firms adopt some of the tactics of the smaller ones, and there's cost savings for everybody. I think that's a good way to go about it. It's a lot simpler said than done, because there are medical interest groups who have lots of influence in states and in the United States Congress, but... It's a path forward, and I think it's something that we can achieve, even if it's slowly, but surely. All right, let's jump to our second article. This one comes from the New York Times. According to medical guidelines, your doctor needs a 27-hour workday. And you know how I was just talking about the involvement of government in medical practices, well, this is another case where there are a lot of guidelines, not necessarily all from the government, but some from the government, that make it extremely hard for doctors to really get down and dirty with their patient and get to the more personalized, individualized healthcare. Quote, the intent is admirable. Give doctors guidelines so that they can be sure to cover what needs to be discussed with patients and help select options. Let's talk about your diet or any problems that you might have sleeping. Are you getting enough exercise? If not, here's some advice. Are you due for a colon cancer screening? Do you prefer a colonoscopy or fecal test? Here are the pros and the cons of each. But there is a problem. There are not enough hours in a workday to discuss and act on all the guidelines. Suppose an American doctor wanted a gold star when seeing patients and following all the guidelines for preventative, chronic, and acute disease care issued by well-known medical groups. That could require nearly 27 hours per day, a team of doctors wrote in a study last year from the Journal of General Internal Medicine, end quote. So I want to start by saying, and I said a key word there, individualized healthcare beforehand. Not all patients are the same. And that's the problem with these blanket guidelines. They don't work. There needs to be a more individualized approach. And this really starts with, one, having trust in your doctor and sticking with your doctor. Because if you're constantly switching doctors from year to year, that doctor's not going to have enough time to get to know you. They may have your health records, And they may see what you've done in the past, but they're not going to have enough time to get to know you, to know your habits, what you've been doing wrong in the past, or even the small things that you don't mention in your doctor's appointments or don't get written down on the log, but can be crucial to understanding how you go about your life and how you might be able to change some habits to be a little bit healthier. So yes, this will take a little bit more time on the doctor's part as well, because they have to sit and listen and try to understand What's going on with you? But over time, two years into the process, it actually becomes easier because they come into a routine. They have an understanding of what's going on with Susie B. And they're able to understand, okay, well, we did this treatment beforehand. It's not working. We need to pivot to this rather than having to do all those tests over again because you're just a chart. You're just a number on a chart that has these pre-existing conditions, oh, well, we need to try this, 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 and this. I think more individualized care is part of the solution, but like I said, it is very hard to do because people have to find doctors they trust and stick with them, and doctors have to be willing to put in a little bit more effort and time to truly get to know their patients. So while it does seem a little bit like I'm pushing in the wrong direction, I'm actually saying, hey, you need to spend more time with these patients, I will bring it all together towards the end once I finish discussing, but I think that's the first step, having a little bit more of an individualized healthcare system or an individualized approach for doctors. And, you know, in the previous article, we were talking about how doctors really do want to help people, and they also really do build up relationships in their community and that's a beautiful thing. If you are the doctor of your f- town for 30 years, you really do get to know these people and you can provide more individualized treatment because you have built these connections over time. And if that happens, people will also be more likely to trust you and come back to you, which means you can make more money. I'm not saying that's the end goal, but that is one benefit of this possible benefit of this individualized healthcare system or process that I'm trying to propose here. So there's also a incentive structure in place that can be a problem, which is insurance companies, for all these different people that do come in, they have certain guidelines or they refer to certain guidelines, certain boxes that need to be checked to ensure that the doctor gets paid. And I, I have a personal story about this. I went in to see a general practitioner when I was a little bit younger, and it was the first time I was going in as an adult by myself, and I just needed to get one thing done, which was, I believe, a, a throat check or uh, maybe it was a urine analysis to make sure I wasn't doing any illegal substances or something to that effect. And when I came in, I said, "This is what I need done." The doctor said, "Well, the insurance company may not actually cover." you're coming in today if we don't do these other things. So we did the neck and throat exam, we did the blood pressure, we did the eyesight, hearing, check my ears, hit my knee, so on and so forth. And even though I was there for one thing and one thing specifically, they we ended up doing five other things because we needed to make sure that the insurance company was going to pay for it on my end. That's how he framed it, but it was also probably because they wouldn't subsidize him. They wouldn't acknowledge that he actually treated me, and he wouldn't get his money if he didn't do these certain things. So the incentive structure is most definitely messed up. Quote, as anyone who has been sped through a 15-minute annual wellness check visit knows, doctors cannot be so exacting. What the guidelines are so thoroughly are so thorough, yet so often gloss over, prompts questions about their usefulness. At the same time, doctors' pay often depends on checking off guideline boxes. Is this an issue? Absolutely," said Dr. Michael P. Hogan, a former member of the Preventative Strategic Sorry Preventative Services Task Force and chairman of the Department of Internal Medicine at the University of Texas at Austin's Dell Medical School. Quote, suffice it to say that they have been incentivized, and it isn't always to deliver the most health or benefit, end quote. So this really does ensure that good doctors can't do all that they can in certain situations because they have to check off these boxes, And it allows bad doctors to get away with the bare minimum, just doing what the boxes say and then sending people along. So how do we change this? Well, I already talked about individualized healthcare, and also a lot of these guidelines around diet and exercise. And there was a quote from this article saying that those aren't necessarily the most effective things to talk about because it's not actually going to cause people to change their habits. So I propose that we actually move diet and exercise, the focus on it, to the culture. We have a societal, cultural shift that we need to be on certain diets that you need to exercise regularly. And we just have that instilled in the culture and in our society rather than it being a checklist on the doctor's guidelines. So then the doctor can focus on more, like I said, individualized, personal, acute, or rapid onset problems rather than saying, oh, well, is your diet okay? Is your exercise okay? Of course, you can discuss it, but at the end of the day, the actually implementing the plan and being healthy and being on a diet and constantly exercising, and we're not constantly exercising, that's exaggeration, but having a healthy exercise routine should be something that we encourage on a societal level rather than the doctor having to do it. But there are critics to what this article is saying. Quote, Dr. Carol Mingioni, chair of the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force now, said the task force considers the time guidelines take, and nowhere is it suggested that doctors try to take off each guideline recommended in a single visit. Quote, clinicians do not and would not ever be expected to implement all of these suggested screenings, counseling services, and preventative medications in a single patient visit. Dr. Minjioni wrote in an email, quote, "...caring for patients, clinicians use both their judgment and the information obtained during conversations with each patient to prioritize which preventative services should be offered during each visit." End quote. So it sounds like she's saying that you really need to individualize the healthcare. Then that means that we have to remove these incentive structures by these insurance companies, and these just tick off the boxes in order to ensure that doctors are able to more individually assess what's going on with their patients. Wow, look at that. It's almost as if all these points coalesce and they make sense. But, you know, very often insurance companies, they want to see the boxes get checked off. They want to have a measure so that they can say, okay, he's doing his job effectively. He checked off this many boxes. And that means he can get this many benefits or something to that effect. They need something to measure, they need a bar to set. So, when you have easy guidelines and boxes to check, it gives you an easy guideline. I understand that. But we need to move away from that slowly. And, you know, to be honest, even if we do shift the burden of you know, the talk of exercise and diet to the culture and society, Insurance companies may still want these boxes to be checked off when you go to see the doctor. So it can't just be that we shift the focus of diet and exercise to the culture, but we also address these guidelines that the insurance companies want to use when trying to assess how well doctors are doing. You know, I think that's enough on that topic. I think it was a, not a, the deepest of dives, but it was most definitely an interesting one. And I want to jump to our our last article, which I think is really important that we talk about. This one comes from Insider. A 2.7 billion pharma company developing a new depression drug says we may be on the cusp of a new wave of mental health treatments. So as the levels of depression, anxiety, and other psychiatric conditions rise in America, pharma companies... Have returned to the market after years of not seeing the dollar signs, so to speak. Quote Laura Ga- Glout, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, ma'am, the chief medical officer at Sage Therapeutics, a Massachusetts based company working on developing an a-, a new antidepressant drug called Nolone. The company recently asked US regulators to approve the drug as a treatment for people with postpartum depression and major depressive disorder, citing data that the drug improved the symptoms of those disorders in the patients. So this new drug, there are two benefits that I really want to highlight. One, it has a faster effectiveness. With only a two-week treatment plan, it can help people who have depression. And also, there are longer results. In a study that showed the average time between retreatments, it was 249 days for the average person before retreatment was needed. Both of these factors together make me extremely happy because, one, you have a one-time treatment that you only have to do maybe once, twice a year, And it only takes two weeks. You're not hooked on this medication having to take it day after day after day for years and years and years and months upon months upon months. I think this is a step in the right direction, and that's why it makes me happy. Quote, Sage said the median time that patients underwent a repeat course after their initial treatment was 135 days. That's for how they were treated in the past using traditional antidepressants. Gout added that for participants who received a higher dose of zuranolone, the median time for retreatment extended to 249 days. Gout said that the undergoing the two week treatment and having those effects last for months before receiving an additional course of therapy makes a huge difference in the lives of patients. End quote. And you know, of course, the best drug, in my opinion, would be one that you don't have to come back to and redo whatsoever that you don't have to retreat with but you know that will never happen at the end of the day big pharma companies they make a lot of their money from having these drugs that people have to come back and get another prescription for that they have to be hooked on for the rest of their lives or have to take at least once a month get a prescription refilled once a month so that's never going to happen But this is a step in the right direction. And it probably really does scare big pharma that now there are new drugs that you can take less often, last longer, and may be more effective. Now, the jury is still out whether this is actually going to be more effective. But, like I said, it's a step in the right direction. And it shows that there are still big leaps and bounds that can be made in the medical industry, and that this part of the industry still can't be profitable and that big pharma should return. And let's be clear, I'm not endorsing big pharma, but at the end of the day, I actually don't want to endorse them or say that the people should be taking these drugs at all. I would hope that we can have a society where you don't need to take these drugs, where you can find natural remedies. You can find ways to alter the way you live your life, or maybe do some more exercise, change your diet to help solve some of these issues for some people. But I also have known people that need medication or at least have been on it from such a young age that they really do at this point need more medication in order to solve the problem. And if we can have practices in retreatments like this that allow patients to take a two-week session, a two-week time frame, be good for almost a year and a half, restructure their life without having to constantly take medication, maybe it will slowly pull them away from the system that has told them throughout their entire lives and has constantly been giving them chemicals, telling them, yes, you need these on a constant basis in order to be normal. I think this, like I said, is a step in the right direction. I don't know if it's going to be the next wave of new mental condition pharmaceutical products like the author says it could be, but it is encouraging to see that we're still making leaps and bounds. And it's also by some of these smaller companies like Sage rather than the large pharma companies. But also, these large pharma companies have the resources to keep this development process going. So while I don't always agree with the practices of big pharma, I do think that they can serve a valuable role if they do their job ethically, and they try to create these products that aren't meant to keep people hooked and coming back every single month, but rather creating products that actually try to solve the issues and maybe even wean their patients off the medication so they can live without it. That's enough ranting for me. I'm sorry. I kind of went on a long one there. But like I said, I think this is an important article and it highlights that there is hope and there are changes in the industry, not just negative things like I talked about in the first one, but there's some positive news, too. And we're going to get to our ultimate positive news in the Daily Delight This one comes from the breast cancer site. Woman found a mystery egg and nurtured it until it hatched. So if you found an egg just lying on your property, what would you do? Throw it away, leave it, or would you be like Erica? Quote, Erica's dog found a mystery egg around the area. They brought the egg home, even though they were unsure what bird species would crack through the shell. Eric utilized the internet to determine what kind of bird leaves an egg on the ground. The possible answer was a turkey. End quote. Turns out it was a turkey and a very adorable one at that. Quote We could not find the nest, so I bought the Rolls Royce of incubators, and 28 days later, my boyfriend was like, It's hatching! It was surreal. She came into the world a healthy, beautiful little bird, end quote. And if you want to see any of the cute videos of the turkey growing up or any of the cute photos, or if you want to read any of today's articles, there will be a link in the description below that like and subscribe button. Also down there, you can try, find the Twitter handle at Your Daily Flip and links to the podcast on all the major podcasting sites, except for maybe Apple Podcasts. You can find it down there, download it, listen to it on the go. With all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.